he's very liminal and mercurial. Yeah. Hey, Rome doggy. Who are you talking about? Grant Morrison. Roman, how are you this morning, you cute little Superman? Good. Sorry I'm late. I was sitting on the toilet and looking up all this, all these references in this issue. Oh, my Ooh. God. Okay, good. So you've got a bunch of reference information. Well, Can maybe. That's all, really jumbled, it. It's all jumbled in my head now. Yeah, cool. Classic Morrison. It's all jumbled. I'm going to pee, but Roman, Hi. Hi. get this party started batman in quarantine episode 57 i think 57 i think um batman incorporated number three jeff roman and justin hanging out hey boys hey three my toit boys hey there cheddar scouts cheddar scouts hey badger loaf um Oh, I just had to check and see if I said Badgelove, if Roman would look in an <laughs> acknowledgement, and and he did. We've trained him. Justin specifically has trained him. Damn it. <laughs> you just got got, Roman. Uh, Batman Incorporated number three. Volume one, number three. There's several number threes for Batman Incorporated out there floating so around confusing. in the oh. ethereal abyss. Roman, you were confused? No, I said it's so confusing, all the number threes and, and you know, three. various numbers. I think before we get into this one, we should say a giant Justin. Hello, hey, hi, I'm, Justin. I made it back. You made it back. You and I you, will not be interrupted again. By you, and I, I shan't. Uh, I tip my toes into the academic waters, and I've re- come back on the other side, a superhuman being, ready, and holding to, a middle finger to all. holding <laughs> to the all of those academics. Um, no hierarchies. Much. No teachers. No hierarchies, <laughs> no teachers. Yeah. Um, all the lessons I need to learn, I already know. Um, Justin, how, how three of them, and there's one of these <laughs> ink issues. Uh, can you just like, here we are, and we've been talking about these Batman ink issues and Batman the Return. Can you just catch us up to date? I know you've read them all. What Your feelings on them, thoughts. Let's just check in the barometric pressure of Justin right now so we can all then move forward on the same page. Ooh, I like that. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, yeah, I guess this will help me figure out, like all things, I figure out how I feel about a thing when I start talking about it. You know, is it is it a, a, a particle of light or is it a wave? You don't know until you see it. You know? Exactly. How do I feel about this, this thing? Um, I didn't read The Return because I couldn't find it, but I liked it a long time ago. Long ago. The introduction of the character at the end of that, like really really got me like just bat saucy i was like obsessed with who that character might be oh my god i'm bat saucing oh i'm so bat saucing um there's guano everywhere i'm covered Um, in my own bat sauce oh and it smells (laughs) i told myself i would read in the shower from now on (laughs) not my little quick my cave where i dwell and guano everywhere anyway he pops out of a whale yeah and that's like (laughs) symbolic of stuff right yeah leviathan yeah leviathan barnacles uh <laughs> one and two was a trip one and two is a trip yeah batman incorporated one and two like okay i mentioned this on the podcast to the other boys but i think like yannick paquette's art is amazing and like swamp thing and when he's doing those like more 
living, interesting panel borders and stuff. But when he is doing traditional art like he is here, I don't know. It it has a feeling to me that I don't immediately love. For sure. Even though like he's a great artist, but there is like it's it's definitely like a in this book it's a little bit more like house style, like just a little bit more generic superhero stuff. So those yeah. first two issues, like they're fun. But yeah, I was very just like we went from like time traveling, demonic spirit, infinite evils and new gods to like now we're just hanging out in Japan having sex with Catwoman. Like is it Yeah. That was a weird tone to set. And and I get it, it's this is like very sexy espionage and I mm-hmm. think there's something to be said that he's kind of in like his Tony Stark face. Yeah. You know, um, so he's a little cooler, a little less like, I'm fucking crazy. <laughs> um, but I'm fucking crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I like when, and I can't say his name, um, but the artist on these issues, um, Yannick Pequet, is that it? Yeah, Yannick Paquette. Yannick like Paquette, that, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't do those noises as well. I like when he does like his crazier panel shit that you see throughout Swamp Thing and later in his career. Yeah. And I like when he does more than human stuff, mm-hmm. like animals and monsters and environments. But I don't like the way he people very much. No, and like the shadows and the shade. I've compared it on here to like Brian Hitch and like yeah, Kevin those Nolan. faces. Yeah, just kind of flat and chunky. But yeah, <laughs> it... Yeah, but I think it's really interesting and I'm excited just like for the general discussion as the series goes forward because I think a big distinction is that you and I didn't grow up watching the Adam West Batman show. No, I tried, but... Yeah, I never even tried. Like, I watched it as a little kid. My mom rented me the Adam West Batman movie when I had wanted her to rent me Batman 89. And (laughs) I was just like, this... Gives me a headache. (laughs) I'm not into it. Um, Wow, what a a disappointment for a kid when you're expecting something wonderful and you get yeah you get watch that like different thing yeah animated series and they're like what more batman stuff is there out there and then you go to that but i don't so i don't even have the like not ironic but like you know it's not like charming in a way that i feel nostalgic or something like it really is like okay yeah this is a portion of batman's history i don't have a huge relationship with and we're really going you know full on with it and while it does become a thing that i love again you know this I am reminded that like, yeah, this is sort of hearkening back to an era I'm not familiar with. So I think that maybe the Justins and Jeffs of the world can appreciate it. But I, you know, then we've got these Django's and Romans of the world who actually loved that show and watched it and stuff. So I think there's a different appreciation for the type of story there. Yeah. I, uh, I have some, not so much the show, but sympathy and um, infinity for some of the older kind of goofier 70s late 60s silver age specifically i was telling you earth 2 stuff because mm-hmm. like when i was just like a collector hound you know i was always trying to get the oldest issues i could and that's about as far as i could get in shitty condition were those kinds of stuff and i'd always read the copies um and so like the zany goofy kind of charming aspect of some of this i can handle not so much the show mm-hmm. um you know, I tried to kind of like do the irony route into liking the show. It just gave me a headache. Like yeah. all the noises and the colors and the bands of pals. Yeah. But I have to say, I love Lord Deathman in the first two issues. Love that character. Love squids. Love Catwoman yeah. looking at hentai. Love, yeah. you know, love. We mentioned this both times, so listeners apologize, but I'm excited to say it's Justin. But I do think that those two issues perfectly 
like it was the first Catwoman within Batman Incorporated or the Grant Morrison run at all. And I mm-hmm. think that their relationship and the way they conversed perfectly segued into the Tom King run. Like it, it, that relationship dynamic seemed consistent. And I do love when there is like consistency of relationship and characterization um, 10 years apart and two authors apart, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And you know, by, by that time they're like friendly, there's not so much antagonism. Mm -hmm. They're like clearly post hush. So they know that they're in love, even if it doesn't work out. So it it does seem, you know, looking back, it like fits surprisingly well to where Catwoman and Batman are these days. But yeah. Uh, So so, so that takes us to number three here. mm -hmm. So we've got three here, which basically in broad strokes, we get a flashback to a crew of the Club of Hero type people from the UK going to investigate uh, some sort of crazy psychic disorienting mess. And only one of them makes it out of there seemingly alive, but totally psychically rocked. And then we jump to present day where Batman is helping out El Gaucho take down some baddies while they're looking for some blind kids that kind of ties into some blue scorpions, which harken back to Scorpiana, who we know is a baddie from the Black Glove story arc that is El Gaucho's baddie. And then Bruce goes to hang out with Gaucho back at his place. Bruce is hanging out with a haughty girl who's doing the, the death tango, and that upsets Gaucho. And then we go hang out with Batman and Gaucho, and we learn that that girl is actually Scorpiana, and uh, then we get trapped into a death trap by the Sombrero Man and Scorpiana, who've got those orphans. Moving through it, excited to talk about it with you guys, especially this first section here, which Justin and I were talking about before starting recording today. But uh, so this is the introduction of like the Daedalus character. And this is a thread that I had just completely lost in my original reading of this years ago. Like, just couldn't really track it, didn't know enough about side characters or different places over, you know, on the other side, across the pond, as it were. Was it a pre-existing character? Who were these? So, kind of just slipped in and out of my head at that point. But this is like a kind of classically Grant Morrison scene here. Just a bunch of new characters having some, like, random (laughs) conversation about, like, but you're not actually gay, are you? And he's like, no, I could be. Like, well, every team's got to have one gay person. So if it's not me, who is it? Like, which is just like such a Morrison conversation to be having in the throes of this like super dour gray sky superhero journey. Right. And they eventually start speaking in their own like hero speak, which Morrison loves to just like disorientate you with like how people speak. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm confused again. Oh, wait, this is how I always am in the beginning of a Grant Morrison book. <laughs> yeah, he he just makes up characters, makes up languages, drops you in the middle of it, and just assumes that you're going to figure it out. Yeah. And I love that, because while I was reading this, like when we see the iconography of at, on page three or four here when Knight is tied up and he's looking at this paper as the only surviving member, and it's got the Daedalus eye in a web... Uh, it kind of reminded me of how i feel about morrison stories which like i just love feeling like kind of like a fly in a web and there's like this morrison has this larger thing that i can't understand yet but like you know you just you're you're stuck in this web and you're slowly figuring it out and i always like that feeling a lot it makes me feel really insecure yeah yeah, but also (laughs) but doesn't it like makes you feel both insecure but also supremely secure because on some level you're like all right but there's someone bigger than me and smarter than me who's telling a story that all makes sense. And I just am not like 
you know, one of these days, this is all going to fit. It's like an insecurity yeah, yeah. and deep, deep, like trust in somebody that I'm like, I don't have really other places. I always end up getting there because Grant Morrison psycho pumps you to the click where it all clicks. Mm-hmm. But I always get immensely insecure that I won't get the click because I just don't get what the fuck is going on. So in this scene, I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to like I'm going to be every episode i'm going to be saying what i think happens and i have no idea what the fuck is going on because that's I can't the point understand. of yeah. that's the point of this that's why i don't even read ahead it's just like i want to be one issue at a time wrong with all of my assumptions <laughs> so people can be like dang that jeff guy likes to talk and be wrong i love i love this beginning because i love things like this because i like the 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 puzzles of me trying to figure out what these are references to and that kind of thing and then looking it up and seeing you know where I was wrong and where the, the, the lesser times when I'm right. <laughs> well, Roman, you're like an, an archivist from the last one. So you have like a source of datum to compare it to. Jeff and I are just like, well, what the fuck? Where are we? We're on some, we've been dosed on some shit and we don't know how to get Is out of here. Is this a new character or an old character? Should how I can know? things be old and new at the same time? Yeah. Should I know what's going on? And if yes, like how bad at this am I? <laughs> yeah. No, I love... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I love Dead Deadlitus. <laughs> He's quintessentially Grant Morrison character design. That type of yeah. thing is just like some ooze that can only come out of Grant Morrison's bald little head. And I love when you can smell that Morrison scent. Um, and he, he's, you know, you don't see much of him here, but he reeks of Grant Morrison characters. So, you know, he's going to be fucked up and twisted in a way that you're not going to expect. Yeah. Um, and just by the name, it's enigmatic and, you know, uh, Sexy. It's sexy. Yeah, Isn't and and Daedalus was the father of Icarus? Yeah. Yes. And the creator of the labyrinth? Yeah. Yes. I think the labyrinth that the Minotaur was was yeah. trapped in. Okay. Yeah. He's okay. not a bad guy. I actually yeah. like like Daedalus in 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 those myths. You know, he's portrayed as like just like a cocky fuck, mm-hmm. but he's just trying his best to like deal with you know the games of the gods and he is being a little bit arrogant because he thinks he can do something but he's just trying to save his family but yeah i wonder where that name if it has anything symbolic about well there's definitely some labyrinthian machinations going on exactly you know? like the spiral or even the web itself is kind of the, the labyrinth or something yeah. yeah yeah i think even in the fact that there there's little i think there's little signs and symbols of that building throughout this series and in this issue i think even the fact that we start off in the falkland islands um during the the you know the uk and in the 80s the uk and argentina were fighting over the falkland islands for possession of them and you know it's the same conflict that billy butcher you know kind of had his origins in over in the boys um uh and i think these guys being here this superhero team being there then and that's kind of a labyrinthian, labyrinthian thing, just the Falkland Islands conflict, because it was just a massive, horrible mess. Um, and one of these characters here, the guy with the eye patch, I think it is, and the blaster, kind of dressed as a dandy. Um, he's a, he 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 just visually reminded me of Luther Arkwright, this other British character um, that's a time traveler and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh. I think that's a Luther Arkwright type. You got the Mr. Albion, which is just like Captain Britain and all these various British 
Captain America versions um, with this big hammer and everything. I oh. yeah, I loved all those characters. I thought that psychedelic sex dandy one just reminded me of like Morrison <laughs> writing himself into the Invisibles. Yeah, it reminds yeah. me of an Invisibles character. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I forget which characters the dude's name is, but it's kind of the Morrison one. But yeah, like he loves oh. him. Uh, Gideon Stargrave. Yeah, yeah. Gideon Stargrave. Yeah, exactly. I love Gideon yeah, Stargrave. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and the robot woman, the Iron Lady. I mean, that's a reference to Thatcher. Okay, yeah. but let's talk about this for a second. Let's just get into some real fucking comic book weeds, my friends. Okay, I'm there. The robot lady speaks with lowercase writing, and everybody else has uppercase writing. And just from, like, you know, a lettering standpoint, it is so much easier to read all caps writing then yeah like, and it's generally all caps in comics but sometimes you get ones that are not like the warren ellis batman's grave has been a lot of like you know lowercase writing or green lantern far sector i'm just always c- curious why they would do that why does this one character have mostly lowercase letters i don't know i actually didn't have no idea i didn't even notice that when i was reading it um yeah, <laughs> i don't know catch. i don't it's know just, <laughs> i just lettering is the thing that interests me but then things that like allow for ease of reading you know and like capitalization seem to be a thing allow you for ease of reading and i always like reading always slows way down when it's lowercase letters i wonder i wonder if it's maybe it's some kind of subtle reference maybe or supposed to be emulating like maybe kind of a soft-spoken britishness especially mm-hmm. of older older people until all of a sudden until like you you hit the, the words that really make the points yeah. That, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just spitballing because you know Thatcher was an old lady, but she was around forever, and they called her the Iron Lady because she was uncompromising and and conservative, and yeah, she horrible. never she couldn't be turned. And this Iron Lady says this lady is not for turning. <laughs> yeah, you know, she was the one that said there is no such thing as societies; it's just individuals. Um, yeah, in groups, you know, society doesn't actually exist; it's just individuals. Um, I think this oh sorry oh i was just gonna say which is like kind of a testament to her cold hearted viewpoint yeah and Uh that's like this lady is iron and cold and robotic and calculating knight says just our luck the world's most dangerous super spy turns out to be a double agent and then gideon stargrave says which makes this spirals problem not ours i'd have thought and i think that is important because that's a reference to spiral this organization that is like in Tom King's Grayson run and stuff. And I don't remember if the first time it's mentioned is in Morrison's run. It is. It's a Morrison creation. Okay. So that's, I love spiral hints of that here. And then he says the world's most dangerous super spy turns out to be a double agent. Like that comes back, but we don't know who that is yet. So that's, that's important stuff. But like that small interchange right there is a pretty important uh, foreshadowing for the things moving forward. Yeah. What's this conflict on this Island called Roman? The uh, the the Falkland Falkland Islands conflict. Yeah, yeah. Or the Falkland, Falkland the Falkland War. Yeah, I think that it's cool that uh, Grant Morrison is kind of like rewriting a secret history of that and having Spiral involved because that like backcasts this far-reaching. You know, it kind of implies that Spiral's been around longer than we know. It gives us a history yeah. that you know we didn't know we had, and that it adds a, a strength and depth and um, intimidating. In intimidation factor of spiral like oh this organization maybe helped engineer or made this conflict so bad and as we come to know these this organization is they're nobody to fuck with yeah they're pretty spooky throughout this run um yeah. and 
And so he's already putting them in the background here. And I, I like that a lot. Um, once again, he, he can, he can do foreshadowing without you necessarily thinking it's foreshadow. He can make <laughs> like critical foreshadowing feel like, and this is, you know, maybe what you're supposed to do it, but he can really make it feel like a throwaway thing, but it sticks in your head. And the next thing you know, you're like, Oh, that's the plot piece that I needed. You know? I totally agree. It's like that thing we were just talking about of like, you know, he has that ability to write in a certain way where you're like, I don't know if I should know what this means or not. Like, am I just mm -hmm. dumb? Like I, and you just sort of, I'll read a bubble and be like, I guess I just don't know enough. And then eight pages later or something, or three issues later, you'll read something like, oh, that's that thing I didn't get. And, you know, it's, it's like, it makes you think that you're just uninformed. But in reality, it's that no one has been informed yet. And right. you know, like, you know, I think some people would say bad writing. I think other people would say, like, trust in the readership to, you know, be able to wander through the maze themselves and not need to be led, essentially. Yeah, I mean, in theory, I, I really respect and love not hand-holding because it make, that's what makes comics boring for me. Mm -hmm. um, but there are times where <laughs> I'm a hypocrite and I'm thrown into the shit and I like really don't know where to go or how to get out of the shit quicksand. But I wanted to ask you, there's a, there's a thing I read that um, I'm sure lots of comic book art people do this, but Jesse Moynihan has talked about how sometimes like if he is writing a scene and he gets just like a random impulse or a mental image or, you know, like a, just a new idea that wasn't there before, you know, he's like, he has how a page is laid out. And then all of a sudden he sees like a golden lion, you know, like, Oh, should I put that? He'll just put it in there mm -hmm. and he'll just treat that. That's like how he foreshadows is he doesn't actually have an explanation for things. He's just like, I'll have to explain that at some point And hopefully it can, I trust my subconscious to help make the connections. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Grant Morrison does that? Like sometimes he'll be like, fuck it, an eye symbol in a web and he'll just put it in there. And absolutely. And I, and I think that like, that's, a thing that I think many of my favorite artists and creators do because I think that I, I think, and I've heard different writers talk about that, but just that idea of like, you know, there are books and things that we read where you're just like, man, is that like when you reread it, you're like, is that foreshadowing this thing years from now? And on some level, I think that like, yeah, my favorite creators oftentimes will just throw a thing in there and just be like, yeah, in 20 issues, I'll be able to make sense of that. You know, like, it's so risky, but it pays off so much more than like a little machination of like intentionally foreshadowing, you know? Yeah, I, I think just like that willingness to go out on a limb and explain. I know Bendis does it and other people do it. And sometimes they don't ever go back to that thing that they reference or something. But, you know, it's like a Lynchian thing as well, like that dream oh, logic, sure. right? Like put a thing in it, even if it doesn't quite make sense. And, and again, like if it propped up in your subconscious while you were making something if someone's engaging in that thing and they see it, there's some weird fifth dimensional connection between those things. Like the imagination conjured it while engaging in a type of thought. Right. So like, even it's if it doesn't be make, there. Yeah, exactly. There's a, you know, I, yeah, I, I like that statement. I'm not, I'm not surprised Jesse Moynihan does that. Um, for people who don't know, he was involved in like adventure time and um, forming, which forming, is big that's thing. the one. Yeah. 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 Um, big, big fan of, of his work. And he's very, I don't think he reads Morrison or is inspired by Morrison, but they have similar brains. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just love Morrison's playfulness and like, you know, that intuitive level of like, no, I don't know what this is or why I'm doing it, but I'm going to trust that it, it plays out in the end is such a good way to get out of your like monkey mind. Like, you know, so much of writing 
in world building is like this obsessive control fantasy. Like I can create to know everything. And it's, I like when you see writers talk about or hear writers talk about just like, no, I'm going to break that and just like trust the imaginal, you know, just like completely devotionally trust the imaginal. If I were to like write again, I would like to be in that space more because I get very into the control fantasy of world building. Like there's nothing that I can't know about my own story. Right. Um, and I think Morrison's a testament to like, and some people do that very well. Like I think Hickman's more of the maniacal super planner. Yeah. But Morrison does the opposite intuitive impulsive thing so fucking well. And it always, it always does plan, plan out. And I love like Hickman has mentioned that like Manhattan projects is the one book that he does where he doesn't do that. And he just lets things happen as they're happening and, and write them in there. Um, the scene like with El Gaucho in the desert here, I think is pretty fun. And it's just like, gives you that like, okay, I guess Batman's just hanging out with different heroes and trying to recruit them and everything. But I, I thought like we meet this character called Papagayo, who is like a working for somebody that we don't know. And, Cimarron is a character who's been kidnapped who like is a different hero that El Gaucho knows so that's why they're there is to like rescue this dude and he's trying to of course get El Gaucho recruited and then a bunch of purple blue scorpions show up and they escape by getting on this hot air balloon but they it is revealed that the boss who this guy is killed by a scorpion but the parrot says the boss is Ouroboro um, and that was just like such a weirdly like confidently globe trotting scene right like we're in a desert yeah. we're fighting we got new characters new bad guys information's getting thrown at us and whatever we're just in mexico in a desert with hot air balloons and there's scorpion it's just such a weird like you know when you're used to reading batman and gotham like now it's well here we are um, like an <laughs> adventure comic yeah and and that conversation sort of leads us back to you know, in that scene, what we get out of it is that Gaucho is not really super into joining the Batman Inc. team, but also that the Scorpion is hunting around and the Ouroboros thing is tied in. But then we go to Bruce Wayne at Al Gaucho's home, which he's basically just like the Hispanic Bruce Wayne. And I just wanted to, I, I don't know if you guys did, but I translated these bits of Spanish in here. Um, I didn't translate them, but Doc Walk does in his book. Does he? I, yeah. I use Google Translate. Um, yeah, Doc Walk does most of it. I don't know if he... I think there's one he didn't do. Um, but the the translation of it is... Um, in Buenos Aires, in the spring, the place where you have to be is the track um, of, of Santiago Vargas uh, on his private villa, or villa. And then it says... Oh, fuck, that one just went to Spanish. Oh, dang. Um, but it basically <laughs> says... Yeah, this is the part where Doc Walk did translate. But anyway, I never translate things when I read them. And uh, I did this time because I'm trying to figure it out. And Buenos Aires in the spring, the place where you have to be is the private racetrack in the splendid via of Don Santiago Vargas, provider of miraculous racehorses to princes, Sikhs, and potentes. I don't know that word. The most eligible bachelor in Buenos Aires plays host to a who's who of beautiful supermillionaires, Don Santiago Vargas. Extravagant, irresponsible, enigmatic. And, I tried to read it in Spanish and did not do very well. Oh, right. You were just recently doing some Spanish stuff. Yeah. How, how well did you do? I mean, I recognized horses and I realized like, oh, you know, you go to a horse horse track and rich people um, 
go here and you know obviously Buenos Aires and stuff you don't need to translate but yeah I was like oh this is a rich person thing to do you know I'm not super good at reading Spanish so I just use context clues off the words that I know the one that I got caught up on there that uh, Doc Walk didn't do was on this double page spread of the intro scene here of Gaucho on the uh, the motorcycle uh, the translation there, as credited to Federico Garcia Lorca, is, on the other hand, the duende does not arrive if he does not see the possibility of death, if he does not know what, what to haunt his house, if he is not sure that he has to rock those branches that we all carry and that they do not have, that they will not have, which is then tying into that conversation about the duende that happens later on, which mm-hmm. is that feeling that you get when you're close to death, and then this is you know, pre that it's saying, but the duende does not arrive if there's not the possibility of death, which is just like interesting, weird, you know, I don't know exactly why that's an important part of this conversation, but uh, the duende is an idea that I really like that's brought up in this. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, and it's during the Bruce's, he's dancing with what's her name? Um, Scorpiana. And it's the tango of death. And they're talking about, and they're talking about the duende It's the spice of life. Well, you know, there's the dance uh, macabre in the yeah. last one. You know, this whole, oh, yeah. every run has some kind of theme about Bruce's proximity to death and how that's kind of what gives him life. You know, he's an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. He's always, you know, trying to get closer to death and see how close he can get without losing it. Um, the relationship between Scorpiana and El Gaucho here kind of reminded me, and I can't remember if Doc Walk had mentioned it, but of the relationship between Catwoman and Batman. Yeah. Or, like, does it seem like Gaucho knows that she's Scorpiana and a bad guy because they're talking about the Scorpion, but he's also kind of clearly jealous of yeah. Wayne dancing with her? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good catch. I, I think that's right. Interesting there. It, yeah, and it is interesting, too, that Gaucho is smart, but they make a point of showing he's not as smart as Batman because he doesn't figure out that Batman and Bruce Wayne are the same person. But that's what confused me because Batman, like Bruce Wayne gets dressed as Batman in his room with him. Yeah, but Gaucho says, oh, clever ploy. You're pretending to be that, that, you know, Bruce Wayne millionaire. He thinks it's just a disguise that Batman's disguising himself as Bruce Wayne. That part confused me. I was a little bit like, and that's where I guess I was getting some red flags about Batman and Batman Incorporated, which is just like, and we talked about it, but like, the identity of Batman is Bruce Wayne. Like, it's hard for me to swallow that now everyone isn't just totally certain that Bruce Wayne is Batman. <laughs> yeah. um, and I guess it's comic, so get over it, Jeff. But that was the, that was just as the whole thing started. I was a little like, okay, yeah, it's kind of slapstick at this point. Just like I think Morrison's like, yeah, of course everyone fucking knows Bruce Wayne is Batman. Why not just lean into it? You know? Yeah. Because, yeah, that is such a ballsy, ridiculous thing to do. To Like, I'm going to disguise myself as my alter ego. Yeah. But Bruce, yeah. he's got this new lease on life since he's seen the end of the universe. You know, he's, he's being riskier. He's being lighter, more playful, less fucking crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think it's also kind of a nod to the so, all the so many Silver Age stories where Batman would... would pretend to be Bruce Wayne or pretend to be Clark Kent because apparently Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne look very much alike. Mm-hmm. And, or Superman would pretend to be Clark Kent, but, oh, I'm not really him, see? And takes off his glasses. Oh, obviously you're Superman. Um, they did that a lot back then. <laughs> I think that Morrison also has this just like long-standing intentional thing where he's just like, don't forget this is comics. Like, <laughs> this is comic books. And, and you know, 
why is it important or why does it get it all in my mind that like oh how do people not recognize that it's like in the 70s or the 60s like no one was like held up on batman like well but don't they know that batman is bruce wayne it's like who the fuck cares it's comic books that's not the point of this story (laughs) the point of the story is to be reading about somebody who is batman and pretends to be batman so don't try and remove that from comic books it's comic books Let's see here. We've got a, a scene of the actual bat signal on his chest really glowing. That was interesting. Um, you yeah. know, uh, just like uh, on the second, third to last page as he's like holding some criminal. Oh. But it's just like actually a light that's glowing. Cool. I didn't see uh, So Batman steals the Ouroboro ring from Scorpiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they're dancing, yeah. So that like kind of concretely links Scorpiana to this idea of this Ouroboro character that we don't really know yet. But do we feel like we can like, do you think that this issue has given us reason to link Ouroboro and Daedalus together? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not concretely, but I think we know yeah. they're sniffing each other. Sniffing yeah. Some butts. All, all, the, all these mm-hmm. labyrinth clues and that sigil that the night night ends up with. Um, mm-hmm. Even the, even them referencing or including uh, uh, the author Borges in this. Yeah. Um, in fact, his quote that Jeff read because um, he was known for writing these lab. I keep mispronouncing the word labyrinthine, labyrinthine. Um, yeah. uh, magic realism and all that and all this stuff for circling sure. back in on itself. And that's his whole thing is like time yeah. loops and like pu- stories that are puzzles. Yeah. And I like how much they went into that like i didn't really know about this idea of you know these different poets and this fake author do you think the fake author is real like did those poets that are real that he mentions here actually have this fake author identity i'm not sure that's something i looked up there wasn't a florida group of poets that i could find but um and i wish i had written it down um there's borges did do with another author did create a pseudonym and they both wrote under this pseudonym and they wrote detective stories and and like pulp type stuff back in the 40s um so i think that's kind of kind of what morrison got the idea from of this fake author yeah yeah i I know that morrison likes borges quite a bit so i think that he just like wanted to put him in there as well not only is his his fiction quite a bit like like borges but he's kind of working those ideas into this run specifically um i really like it i really like that they gave like a cool pseudo history yeah and it was real internally consistent and i also liked the bit where kind of like that small bit of throwaway conversation on like page three just the supermelon as alcocho was saying had replaced him with their own agent on some business to do with a mysterious u.n intelligence operation years ago which is, again, we're hearing this, like, UN operation or, like, secret organization. There was an undercover agent from, you know, at some point years ago that this crew knows about. It seems like that's mentioning it as well as earlier on. So, like, there's something there that's going to get explored with Spiral and For sure. It's, like, crazy that I didn't really realize, and maybe it's just been so long I forgot, how clearly, like, James Bondy espionage-y this whole thing is even being aware that spiral is like an agency, but there's, you know, essentially MI6 and, and all these world government organizations and secret services that Batman's bumping up against. And he's essentially Gotham's version of that. And I like, I've always had a soft spot for spy fiction. And so I just, I can't believe I, it was totally lost on me that that's such a present thing. And Roman 
was there a phase? Because I can imagine it a phase in the sixties or seventies where they essentially equated Batman to James Bond, and he had like spy like stuff happen. Um, kind of. I mean, yeah, sure there was. I mean, the sixties he had all these gadgets and stuff, and I think they probably leaned into that after Bond came out and People maybe before, so maybe before Denny O'Neill changed him back into you know a dark, mysterious, weird figure of the night. You know, there's. I just happened to see the top of this panel, top of the page, the panel where Batman and Gaucho are investigating and Batman's uh, chest symbol is, is actually, mm-hmm. the light is on. I never, I didn't, didn't notice this before, so I haven't looked it up, but uh, there's graffiti on the building behind them that says, it looks like it says... El Odio El, Cosmico. El yeah. Odio Cosmico, yeah, what is that? Is that a, I don't know. a I, cosmic god? Is that yeah. what that means? I don't think Odio. Yeah, I'm thinking. Of, oh, I'm thinking of Dio. Dios. This is the sound of several boys googling translations. <laughs> oh, this series is so good. Yeah, the sh- the tonal shift is is funny, but I'm enjoying this this run too more than I remember enjoying it. Oh my God, cosmic hatred. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Cosmic <laughs> hatred. Yeah. Nice. Yikes. That's not. I love that. Sound good. <laughs> that is yeah. some great. Uh, you know, fucked up foreshadowing. And yeah. then this ends and even, with. Oh, sorry. I was uh, maybe maybe even also a backshadowing to uh, Dark Side and Hurt and the oh. whole and all things. Well, there's uh, a Yeah, there's there's some deep kind of astrological mythos and uh, some symbol set symbol symbology, I guess, in this run. Um, that slowly becomes more present. And so that makes sense that it's like cosmic hatred and Mm -hmm. what the big bad guy takes their name of and after is the most poisonous malignant star in the cosmos, according to Mm -hmm. astrology. So, um, yeah. So we end with a death trap by El Sombro for Gaucho and Batman. And they've got those dope electric knuckle things that Justin pointed out the first time we saw them in the run Love like earlier on. They're super Love cool, them. but now taser gauntlets. One of them has to beat the other uh, unconscious or to the death or something to get out of this. So that doesn't sound do that. like it'll happen. Do you, do you, should I, you and I glove up and <laughs> yeah. get down? Do you think we could get people to place bets? Oh, wouldn't it yeah, be Yeah, we can get, okay. So, well, if you guys are going to be the ones fighting each other, I guess that leaves me as El Sombrero. <laughs> the one organizing it all. Yeah. Roman um, looks good in a wheelchair. And Django, yes. and J- and Django can be uh, Scorpiona. Oh. Django would be, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know he'd love to wear a one-piece corset bathing suit armor. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be into that helmet with the, the oh, yeah. pinchers and the stinger. <laughs> it's he so probably... interesting with this next issue, we get... We get... It's Chris Burnham back on it. And is there any Yannick Paquette in that one? No. And then it goes back. Yannick Paquette and Chris Burnham is just a really interesting, like, one-two punch. They're both yeah. such different artists on here. But sure. really excited for this next issue because I think it's one that I didn't read originally because it looked like it was all a flashback. And when I was that young, I didn't realize how important every breadcrumb is. So excited to get that um, with everybody next week since this is a Thursday. Um, yeah, me too, because that's, that's going to be the issue to introdu- reintroduce the original Batwoman. I know, I know both I of you it. are so fond excited. and informed, <laughs> so I, I'll have to do a little extra work there. Well, buddies, I just before we get out of here, I want to mention an email that we got from oh. our friends, Chris Murphy, on The Return, Batman The Return. 
The Return and Batman Inc. number one. Hello, quarantine. Great to have the podcast back. <laughs> I just have two little Easter eggs to share, one from The Return and one from Batman Inc. number one. In The Return, when Lucius Fox is showing off the new robot robots, <laughs> Bruce makes reference to the to the recalled GI Robot program. The GI Robot is the old Silver Age concept, first appearing in Star Spangled War Stories 125 in 66, with a few different iterations to follow. The basic idea is that the GI Robot is a self-aware android that works for good old Uncle Sam. There was a handful of models with the most well-known one fighting alongside the creature commandos. I know Roman knows about those guys. Oh, yeah. This was, this was all squarely pre-crisis. I don't really know if the idea has retconned or come back in the DC Universe reboot. And then in Batman Inc. number one, there's a welcome appearance by Catwoman. A TV report shows the paparazzi snapping pictures of Bruce Wayne and Miss Elva Barr, a cosmetics heiress. This is one of those wonderful Golden Age references that Grant's hands that Grant hands us. In that case, it's a callback to Batman 15, 1943. In the story, Your Face is Your Fortune, Selina poses as a salon worker named Elva Barr who uses the position to take plaster casts of the faces of her clients in order to make the masks so she can steal from their homes. It's been said before, but it is a mark of such great writing that a story can be packed with so much continuity yet still a totally enjoyable and co- cogent even if a reader knows none of it. Grant's Batman is just the best. Thanks for your work, Chris. Um, Chris, killing it. Yeah, that, yeah I, awesome. exactly what you said just like the fact that you cannot catch a bunch of these and it can still stand so well on its own but it can be such an active love letter i do really think that it's the finest instance of somebody telling a story that is built on 70 years of continuity before it yeah and there's yeah, like go ahead roman oh um now, now i just want to know what you're gonna say i was just gonna say yeah it's so much fun little references like that and because like when I was a kid, I loved the creature commandos because it was, you know, it was a Frankenstein and a werewolf and a vampire and sometimes GI robot fighting Nazis. And then later on fighting Viet Cong. <laughs> yeah, it's a Roman book for sure. For sure. Uh, so, so I read in weird war stories is where the comic I read them in. Mm-hmm. There's just so many different types of Easter eggs too. Like you can get the, you know, there, it, there's something for every nerd. You know, you can have the deep back continuity. There's you know out there ref- philosophical stuff yeah there's like Freudian psychology yeah occult like turn of the century authors and shit like all kinds of stuff is constantly interlaced there was a bunch of shakespeare and batman and robin and so there's just like an easter egg for any kind of nerd that's out there yeah i'm reminded of like a, you know bill sinkevich talking in interviews about when he was sort of getting into comics and doing comic art and he had been trained as like a uh, a european artist and doing avant-garde mixed media stuff and he was just like why can't all of that stuff be in comics as well and that just seems like hickman's or sorry morrison's standpoint here as well which is just like why can't Jungian psychology and astrological symbols and espionage of all be in a Batman comic. Oh, it's fucking crazy. It totally, totally rules. Well, my gentle giants, I've got to go. I'm going to edit a podcast, visit my mom, go to work, read a book, run a book club. So uh, Monday is packed and I look forward to seeing all of you guys in a couple of days. The Mondays are just packed. The Mondays that's are just past Calvin, Calvin and Hobbes. And, Hobbes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's our next podcast is a Calvin and Hobbes real long. Well, thanks for it. coming by, you guys. Well, thank you. And thank uh, you, folks. Yeah, and all of you thanks for listening. Everybody. Get us an email at batmanandquarantine at gmail.com. Check out the Facebook group. Get on Facebook and search for Batman in Quarantine. Leave us a... Actually, this is a, a poignant one. 
if anyone listening could leave us a review on your podcaster thing, it should be easy. Just scroll to the bottom, hit like leave a review. Just leave some stars on there. Tell a friend about it. Make a Reddit post. Share it on Twitter. Facebook it to your friends. Um, but that would help us out a ton, especially like as we finish this Batman thing. If we're going to start thinking about doing another one afterwards, um, it would be f- helpful we're, to have some awareness. We're never going to finish this. I don't want to finish it. I know, <laughs> man. But the fact that we're like... It's going by quicker than I ever thought it would. Yeah, and we can see the end. Like, the fact that we're doing two episodes a week helps it go on a little bit longer. But, like, it's just the 16 issues and then the eight issues. So, like, you know, we're within 20-ish episodes or something. So, crazy. (laughs) Um, All right, well, everyone, this was Batman in Quarantine 56 on behalf of, or maybe 57, I don't remember. On behalf of Justin and Roman, I'm Jeff, and we'll see all of you next week. Farewell. Hold on.